Uh, that makes me very happy. Mercy. Well, welcome, everyone. Uh, this is the final week of Advent, and uh, today we're going to commemorate and celebrate both the final week of Advent, which is love, the red candle, uh, but also since we're not gathering on Christmas Eve tomorrow, we're going to light the Christ candle here in a bit. So we're holding together all that we've learned and uh, we're going to review those here now as we light these candles. I love the tradition of Advent. Uh, we've picked it up more recently in the last couple years and are welcoming the Holy Spirit's deep dive of the Christian calendar, the universal church's calendar, believers all over the world that go through weeks of remembrance and of worship, uh, taking in the anticipation of Jesus who changed everything. Yeah? So the first week we started with hope. And when Jesus brought hope, he not only brought hope, but he also shattered hopelessness forever. I love that phrase. So can we say Jesus shattered hopelessness together? Jesus shattered hopelessness forever. Amen. The second week, we uh, entered into the Prince of Peace. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, means he rules the government of peace. He is the head, the King of Peace. And he brings peace uh, in the inside, longs that we would live inside of his peace. So can we say together that peace is everlasting? Peace is everlasting. And last week was Joy, Adam Chia Joy Relly, uh, taught beautifully on the joy of Jesus. She loved that your king didn't want you just to kind of go through the motions and hope one day to be in heaven, but that on this side, his impartation to you was hope and peace and joy. And we are a people that believe the joy of our Father is the strength that we live out of. His joy and his delight over us, over all of us. So we remember that Jesus brings good news of great joy for all people. Can we say that together? Jesus brings good news of great joy for all people. Hallelujah. The candle here, the red candle, represents the central motivation of Jesus coming. It says in the book of John that God so loved the world. He so loved the world that he sent Jesus, which means that Jesus so loved you and I that he came. He was so eager to manifest and demonstrate his love that he came. It is who he is. It is the overarching theme and intent of his heart to bring you and I, all people, into the depth of his love. It is what we will pursue uh, throughout all of our lives, his love. And it is why he came. So can we say, let's get this baby lit. For God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. For God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. We'll light the Christ candle here in a minute. I, um, I am so honored to be a part of a people who uh, believe these things are true, that you're not here on the planet to live a casual faith, a, a kind of plasticky go through the motions, but uh, what I see in you and what I know about this people is that these values of the kingdom are things that you believe that you want that you have said yes to Jesus and you have committed your days to follow him with all of your heart to pursue him to love him to let his love forever guide you um, I, I remember being about 20 years old 
and I had come out of an organization called YWAM for a year, and I was visiting Bible colleges in the Chicagoland area, and the one that seemed like the best front-running candidate for me at the time, I visited with my parents, and I remember leaving that Bible school, and I thought, I've got two options here, because I could just recognize the, well, the level of like spiritual fervor that was present on that, cap- on that campus, and the absence of the Holy Spirit as a real person in power in our lives, And it's no disrespect to the schools, but that's just what I observed. And I thought I got two options here. I can either, like, roll into this campus like a Charles Finney, who who I was reading a lot of at the time, and try to lead some sort of crazy renewal on this campus. And I I questioned whether or not I could do that. Uh, Or I can come here, hope to, like, grind it out, and likely just kind of follow the way and get swept up into the blasé of spirituality there that I felt. And I I couldn't do it, and my parents were with me, and no, that that was just not right. And I knew in a humble, honest way that I needed people, that I needed people who were saying yes in the way that I wanted to say yes. And God answered that prayer and sending me to Kansas City and in large part giving me a friend like Adam, who was my first friend, to challenge me and to stay with me and to pray fervently and to process honestly things that were going on. So thankful for you, Adam, knowing that I needed people. It's okay to need people. It's a really good thing to need people. I'm remembering the story in the Gospels when uh, the friends lower down their, their quadriplegic friend through the, through the thatched roof to Jesus so they could be healed. The man who was crippled needed the faith of his friends. In fact, he he demanded, required the faith of his friends to do what he couldn't do of himself and to potentially do what he didn't have faith himself could happen. And we're surrounded by people of faith that we get to run into when you get a little wobbly, right? You just get a little wobbly and you lose sight of who he is and who you are in light of who he is. And in those times, I'm aware that I need one of three things. I need the scripture, which is the word of God, that cuts, that's the sword, that's alive. I need the Holy Spirit that brings an awareness to my mind and my heart that I'm loved, that that leads me in prayer and worship, or I need people. And if I need people in those moments, and the Father knows that I need people, those people are gonna bring the first two things. They're gonna bring me the scripture, they're gonna bring me the Holy Spirit or out of their well, and they're going to help stabilize me. I had that this week, hanging with my buddy Dave Laverick, just drinking from the well of his life. I love the gray hairs in the room because you have lived in faith many, many years. And seeing you makes me want to follow Jesus more. You don't even have to say anything awesome. Just seeing you makes me want to follow him. I got a call a few days later from a friend. I don't think he was calling me because I was a pastor, thinking that maybe I had like some sort of like special FBI clearance to the best things about God. He was calling me because I was a friend who followed Jesus. And the phone call started with, I'm spiraling quickly here, man. And I got to listen and offer simple words by the Holy Spirit out of the scriptures and pray. And in five minutes, it's like, man, I I feel different. You know probably why he felt different was just because he brought it into the light and then said it. Sometimes you don't even need to get a response. You just need to get the words, the honest emotions that you're in, the honest process that you're in out of your mouth to another human. 
especially one whose life is centered on Jesus, it's okay to need people. We need one another. And I'm blessed by the lines, the lineages of faith that I see here. I see the whole Merwins. There's like 30 of them here today. <laughs> Daughters and son-in-laws. Amazing testimony to the goodness of God, of a family that's here. I'm thankful to my family, my mom's side that's represented. My mom, who, for, as far as I know, her first word out of her mouth was Jesus. She was born as a follower of Jesus, it seems. All of her days, she has lived for Jesus wonderfully and passionately. She's cared so deeply for people, for us, her kids, uh, for the nations. Loves this family so well as you have probably experienced from her. And she, in large part, follows Jesus because my grandma and grandpa are here. My grandma and grandpa are in their 90s. My grandma and grandpa are in their 90s. Uh, they will be celebrating 74 years of marriage in February. <laughs> 74 years in February. Molly and I have a goal to break your record. I mean it. We got married at 21, so we got a chance. That, grandma and grandpa, that's an incredible legacy to give us that you have stayed devoted to one another. When my grandpa got saved, he got really saved. He became a walking microphone for Jesus. And the hospitals are scared of him when he gets in there because he just shares Jesus with every x-ray tech and nurse that comes into the room. I love, Grandpa, your faith in Jesus. It is so moving to me. My grandma and grandpa pray this Psalm 23 every night before they go to bed, every night. I love that. <laughs> Grandpa, I've learned hard work from you. The beauty of working hard with my hands. The beauty of working hard in faith for Jesus. When my grandparents retired, retired early, took a pay cut, retired early, so they could spend their best retirement years on a missions base in North Carolina with Wycliffe. And taught me the love of the, the scriptures, that it would be interpreted in written form in every language through groups like Wycliffe Bible Translation. Isn't that amazing? Incredible. We, uh, we know candidly, uh, candid is not the right word. We know because of things that the doctors have said that this is likely my grandpa's last year. And don't get awkward. We're not awkward about it. Uh, death is a real thing. And us knowing about it helps. It helps me do moments like this where I get to speak my honor and appreciation back to my grandpa who taught me the love of golf and the love of God and the love of work. And we get to treasure the moments in the house together as a family, knowing that, that they may not be very many more. And I honor you, grandpa, knowing that you're going to be with Jesus and that you have lived so well. You have loved so well. And I'm praying that you get to 74 years this February. I want to be there and applaud and celebrate and pray and agree with you that that would get passed down to all the kids, hey? Oh, so grateful. So with lineage and legacy in mind, we're going to watch uh, the last video here that we've been watching every week from the Roberts. Uh, it's the week on Christ, and it is a testimony to the genealogy of which Jesus came. Let's watch that.
beautiful. All right, would you, um, could we uh, stand together as we light the center candle, representing that Jesus is the center of the story, he is the center of our lives, and he is the light of the world. As Let's just take a minute, and whether out loud or under your breath, just honor Jesus and give praise to him. We've got some of the lyrics from the song on the screen. If you want to pick one of those up and just praise Jesus, the lamb who was sent for you and I. We praise you, Jesus Christ. We praise you, the son who was given to all of us. We praise you for your power. We praise you for your peace. We praise you for your hope. We praise you for your love. Thank you, Jesus. Welcome, Jesus, into every heart, into every home, to every family, into every extended family, into every neighborhood, into every nation. Welcome, Jesus. Welcome, Jesus. Welcome, Jesus. Hallelujah. You can have a seat. Put the next slide up, Derek. It says in Luke 2 that during those days, the Roman emperor Caesar Augustus ordered that the first census be taken throughout his empire. Everyone had to travel to his or her hometown to complete the mandatory census. Joseph and his fiancée Mary left Nazareth, a village in Galilee, and journeyed to their hometown in Judea, the village of Bethlehem, King David's ancient home. They were required to register there since they were both direct descendants of David. Mary was pregnant and nearly ready to give birth. When they arrived in Bethlehem, Mary went into labor. There she gave birth to her firstborn son. After wrapping the newborn baby in strips of cloth, they laid him in a feeding trough since there was no available space in any upper room in the village. For the families here who feel like your family line is messy, you are in good company with Jesus. The genealogy that was just sung over us is a real gritty mixed bag of heroes and failures, if I can say it so plainly. Liars and thieves and murderers, kings that ruled unrighteously and some that ruled righteously. And Jesus comes through a line that has that on it to say to you and I, to your family and my family, that I am with you and the mess is okay. I'm not put off by it. I'm not turned off by it. I'm not pushed away by it. I love a mess. That has been my meditation. I love a mess. There's no family story that is too messy that I won't enter into it. Jesus came as love as one of us for all of us. He came as one of us for all of us. His life testifies to your story and my story that he is able, that he is loving, that he is present. I love a God who will enter the mess. I love a God who will join himself to a family of names that we read off that is less than desirable. 
and he'll call it good, and he'll call it his own. Sure, it's a kingly line, descendants of David, but you remember there were some rough patches in there, some really rough years within that family, which is good news for your family and my family, for our stories, right, where there's bumps and there's hiccups. And for Jesus to go a step further and not just come through a messy lineage, but to come into a messy crib called a feeding trough. This story has an interesting twist in it, friends, because they had all come to Bethlehem, Joseph and Mary, because everyone had to return to their hometown. The father picked the time of year when there would be the least amount of space in anybody's home. It's not likely there was a hotel or an inn. It's referring to the families that had guest rooms. And all of Joseph's family and all of Mary's family would have been present there as well. I'm referencing this because it is the buildup to Joseph and Mary having to turn in desperation to God. Let's be frank. They know they're carrying something quite special. And they know that there's no room anywhere else. You wish that Uncle Terry would have given over his guest room for Pete's sake. I mean, Joseph's like, really? Nobody's going to give us a room? His family was there. I don't, I don't get all of that, to be honest with you, in the natural. But think about what it would have provoked in Joseph as a father and mother to say, help, help. We need you. We're in a desperate situation. What are we going to do? And the father's solution is a grand, whopping mess of a stable. Have you ever considered that your mess is the welcome sign for God to arrive in? Like, he advents into a mess. Oh, Jesus. Holy mess. Holy, wonderful mess that are surrounded in this room of every which shape and size. And Jesus comes with some of the most powerful words to your mess and my mess. He is Emmanuel. He is God with you. He is not with you in a generic, general sense. He is with you in the most pure-hearted, intimate, powerful, connected way imaginable. His promise to you in that mess is, I am with you. And it is the most important promise in that mess. I arrive in it. I stay in it. I want to be welcome into it. And I will be with you in the mess. Good news of great joy for all people. Good news of great joy for every messy situation that you encounter and I encounter, hey? It's an astounding setup, friends. No room anywhere. The last place that he could come in the and again, the most unusual of census moments, right, where there's nothing else but desperation upon God to provide a place. And the Father's provision is a mess. <laughs> the Father's provision is a mess. But Jesus doesn't leave it, leave it there to just simply say to you when he arrives that I will be with you. That's awesome. That's all we really ever need to know and believe is that he's with us. But he promises in that place to use it, to redeem it, to work that mess for good. It is not a bumper sticker. The God who works all things together for good is your lifeline when your mess is really messy. It is your reminder in that moment that he is with you and he who is with you is able and willing and ready and is going to use that mess for good. He is the deliverer. 
to further prove his power to deliver, this story from this crazy stable manger gets wacky when the king decides to kill all the babies under two years old. And God the deliverer has to deliver the deliverer, Jesus, and send him to Egypt because they're in a mess just like you and I. They're in a crisis just like you and I have been. And you know what that crisis brings? It brings incredible prayer. It brings incredible submission. What do we do? Helpful when the angels show up and tell you what to do. Helpful. It's nice when it's really clear. These first few years are messy and they are pregnant with imagery and with prophetic reminders, with symbolic goodness to you and I. He is with you. He is going to use it for good. And he is a deliverer. The one who came for you as one of you has the power to deliver you out of the mess. I heard a guy say recently that God has two speeds, slow and suddenly. We're laughing because that's kind of our experience, isn't it? I hold with some of you that long-standing hope for deliverance for you or your family. I do not like waiting. I'm from Chicago. I really do not like waiting. And I know stories in this room that are years, decades of waiting in faith. And I am so blessed by it. I'm so impacted by your long-standing, long-suffering, unwavering faith. Maybe it doesn't feel unwavering. But man, it looks like that. He is slow at times in our own ex, uh, you know, experience or understanding. And he is the suddenly God. And I want a whole lot more suddenlies. I really do. But together, in our interconnectedness, needing one another when the slow is causing you to go wobbly again and you're tempted to turn into your own flesh and abilities and you run into a pillar in another human being who's trusted, who has a word in season to remind you that he is with you, that he's going to use it for good, and that he is able to deliver you out of any situation. Nothing is impossible. Jesus lived for us that all of us could have life. Jesus died for all of us that all of us could have life. Jesus was resurrected for all of us so that all of us could have life. And not a weak, whamsy-pamsy life. An indestructible, authentic, incredible, miraculously filled life. And in every mess, that's what we got to remind ourselves of. I remember calling Tim Gadu one time. I, Tim answered the phone, and I simply said, I'm angry. I'm angry, Tim. He's like, well, all right. <laughs> and I went on to explain the situation, and I was going to need to be meeting with someone who was contributing to my anger. And I said, Tim, I'm, I'm in no shape to talk to this person because of how angry I am. And this is not going to go well if I don't get out of this mess. And Tim just said to me, you're a good pastor. You have a good heart. 
you're a good leader. You're a patient and kind man. And the anger shook off of me. He just simply reminded me who I was. He spoke to my true nature because my true nature are those things. There was a whole lot of other stuff that was trying to cloud and distort that to make another mess out of my current mess, you know? And by the grace of God, I called, and by the grace of God, a man spoke in and brought a reminder, yeah? So before the kids come in and wow us with their theatrical abilities, um, I want to stand together and make some declarations if we could. Yeah, you don't know what you're declaring yet, but uh, there's a high level of trust in the room. I can feel it. You can feel it. Uh, I want to stand symbolic that you yourself are the stake of faith. Right? We use that term, put a stake in the ground. You yourself standing are the stake that is set into the ground. And I want to lead us in declaring out of God the Deliverer some of these statements that we speak over our own lives, that we speak out over one another, that we speak over those who will come through us or that will be friends around us that are going to need us. You know when friends are going to need you? When you least expect it. Paul was clear with Timothy. Be ready in season and out. You don't know when it's going to come, but you need to be ready. Therefore, every day, seize it. Every moment, be ready. That's a, that's a high challenge, isn't it? And it pushes us again into dependency and into some of these declarations that we're going to make here, which I wrote down on a three-by-five card. So I'm going to say it, and then would you repeat after me? We start with the first and most important one. You are with me in the mess, and say it like you mean it. Yes, he is. You will use my mess for good. And finally, you are my deliverer. Let me pray for all of us. Father, Son, and Spirit, we are your kids. We stand as a stake in the ground, pointing our lives towards you, saying we want every day to be lived for you because of you and with you. We stand in a company of saints around the room with gray hairs and young and old alike. We dedicate ourselves to you. We bless one another in every mess to be reminded by you directly or by one of us that you are with us that you are the one who works it for good, and that you are the powerful deliverer that changed everything when you came, Jesus. You changed everything when you came, and you promised to redeem and to restore things for your name and your glory. Amen. Hallelujah. All right, stay standing as we welcome 1125 on the button. Uh, come on, Rachel. Actually, you're probably going to need to sit to see this. So our kiddos are going to bring some wonderful stuff to us. I don't even know what they're going to do. Uh, the name of this here program is called An Unexpected Christmas. Rachel Rittman has been the conductor 
of all this. Uh, friends, I have very good news for you. About a week ago, Rachel Rittman and one Curtis Edwards were engaged. Man, that makes me happy. So good. So, so good. Rachel leads our kids' work. What do you need? Move it. Yeah, 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 move it. Oh, I can do it. Brandon's coming. Ask him. So we're going to give a minute or two here to set up. Rachel, just give me a thumbs up. I'll do some mildly funny entertaining while you're doing that. Uh, Curtis is our bonfire leader there in the KC hat. There he is. Curtis, you're engaged. Woo! And then one more. What? I'm done. You can keep it. No, no, okay. okay. Well, I need both of these. Yeah. Check, check. Thanks for our, your patience while we set the stage. We'll be right back. Have you ever wondered what we might see if we could pull back the curtain of time to that very first Christmas? If we could, I imagine the story began in heaven something like this. God was looking over heaven's balcony one day, shaking his head at all the wrong things people were doing down on earth. Oh man, this isn't quite what I had in mind when I created earth. I feel so far away from my kids down there. Why? It's just hard to be close friends with people when they're so far away and doing really hurtful things. I think it's time. Time for what, Lord? Time for us to step in. Shall we ready the army, my lord? Teach them a lesson? No, I don't think we should send an army. Maybe just one person. Lord, this plan is... Lord, if you're sending just one person, they'll have to be someone very powerful and strong because there's tons of people down there. No, they don't have to be strong. They'll be going as a newborn baby. Lord, this plan is risky. A newborn baby is small and weak. This baby must be born to people who will protect him, maybe a ruler or a mighty king. Actually, I was thinking I could send him to a peasant girl whose heart is beautiful and full of courage. A peasant girl? Brilliant. They won't be expecting that. My Lord, I see you are planning to take Earth by surprise. No one will be expecting a baby born to a humble villager, but what good can a baby do? This will not just be any baby. I'm sending in the Prince of Heaven in disguise. Lord, this is too risky. Sending in the Prince of Heaven in disguise as a tiny baby born to not kings but to humble villagers. Surely our prince cannot be born in a cottage. He must be born in a palace. You're right. He shouldn't be born in a cottage. He'll be born in a stable. Lord, how will all the people know he's there? What if they don't notice? Those who are looking for him will find him, and his mission will bring all people closer to me, even if they do something really wrong. When the prince is done, nothing will get between them and my love. Can we leave clues for the people looking for him? Like in the stars. Clues in the stars? 
Sure, why not? We can make one huge one that points to him. Can we sing for him? All right, you can sing. Yay! Can we sing for some shepherds? That's a lonely job. They could use for some cheering up. Brilliant. They won't be expecting that. You know the rest of the story. An angel visited a humble girl with a courageous heart and told her the good news. She would have a baby, the Prince of Heaven, who would help Earth become close to God again. As planned, the baby was born in a stable just as far as from a palace as you can get. A group of wise men noticed some strange clues in the stars. They packed their belongings and followed the star right to the baby. And, of course, a bunch of lonely shepherds were guarding their sheep when all of a sudden the sky was lit up by a thousand angels singing. Now, how about we all join in for one more song in celebration of this glorious, unexpected rescue plan from heaven. Arthur, herald angel, see. 